This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. It's Writer Than You on a Tuesday morning on CBS Sports Radio on the free Odyssey app. And it's once again a Writer Than You without Bill Ryder on this Tuesday morning. It is Andrew Bogush with you for these next two hours across our country and all of our great Odyssey affiliates nationwide all over the place on that free Odyssey app. CBS Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 158. On a fairly busy Tuesday morning, just two hours to walk through a hectic last 12-ish hours and whatever's going to happen between now and 6 Eastern when it comes to the MLB trade deadline. We have just begun dissecting and moving on with and processing yesterday's decision to suspend Deshaun Watson for six games. The NFL is reviewing the decision from Sue Robinson. No word yet on if they are going to appeal, but they should, and they almost have to, which we'll discuss this morning as well. Not most importantly, but significant experience, life experience for me this morning on my way to these studios that directly connects to this show and my relationship with one Tom DeCelestino, who, in an upset, is actually here as I look just off to my right through double-pane soundproof glass, TV cameras and lights in the way, trying to hide behind all of them. But breaking tradition, breaking trend, doing something different at least for today. I'm here in for Bill, which normally means D-Cell takes off because D-Cell cannot stand to look at me, to work with me, to even speak to me. But he's here today. I don't know if that's about me. I don't know if that's about days off. I don't know if there's been anything told to Cell about coming to work when Bill's not here. But he's here. I'm here. And you're there. And all coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios, whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there for home loan solutions that fit your life. Rocket can. So here we are just after 10 Eastern this Tuesday morning. We've got roughly eight hours until baseball's trade deadline Hits and deals are done. And don't forget, in this new world, there are no more post-trade deadline moves. Any trade has to happen by 6 p.m. Eastern today. The old days of the one deadline coming and then we spend August with waiver deals, those no longer exist. And just yesterday, we had Josh Hader go to the Padres. We had Trey Mancini and Christian Vasquez in separate deals go to Houston. The Yankees got Frankie Montas and Louis Trevino from the A's. A few days that they're adding Andrew Benintendi. The Cardinals got Jose Quintana from the Pirates. The Braves just made official their deal for Jake Odorizzi. Will Smith goes to those Astros. And, of course, today is about Juan Soto. And that's been a two-pronged question. Will he actually move before this deadline, and who's going to get him? It seems like we're getting a Soto trade today. 
And right now, at 10.03 Eastern time in the, in the this morning, the San Diego Padres are said to be the front runners right now to get Juan Soto and his teammate Josh Bell in an even bigger deal from the Nationals. Multiple reports even now attaching names who would go from San Diego to Washington to get Soto and Bell to Southern California. Matt Snyder, CBS Sports, will join us later in this hour to take us through everything that happened yesterday and what might happen today. But we have to begin with Deshaun Watson, and we will get help from Michael McCann at McCann Sports Law on Twitter right now for Sportico. He's on the show next hour because of Deshaun Watson. We are a little more than 24 hours since we found out Sue Robinson was recommending a six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson. And then, as you'd expect, basically all hell broke loose. On the field, near Brown's headquarters, on talk radio, on talk TV shows, on the cesspool that is Twitter, anger, rejection, disappointment, defending Deshaun Watson, protecting Deshaun Watson, picking winners and losers from a football perspective, from a labor bargaining perspective. We went all over the place. There was new anger. There was new unnecessary shots at people on either side of this conversation. And it leads us here to this morning with a specific comment or two directed at those who were, and I'm hoping that this is a significant portion and almost an exclusive minority that just exists in and around Cleveland that likes the Browns. But if you were at Browns training camp yesterday and you were applauding Deshaun Watson, if you were celebrating Deshaun Watson, if you were excited that Deshaun Watson was only going to miss six games for your beloved Cleveland Browns, if you were asking or sending your kids in the direction of Deshaun Watson to get Deshaun Watson autographs, There is a way to be on Deshaun Watson's side in this conversation when it specifically comes to if you a a specific debate about the fairness of this suspension and how it was handled by Sue Robinson. We might disagree on that, but there's room for you to be quote unquote on Deshaun Watson's side when it comes to the process and the end game of this six game suspension. But it's pretty hard to be on Deshaun Watson's side as a human being right now. And if that's what you were doing yesterday, applauding for him, happy he was out there, gleefully getting things signed by Deshaun Watson, I think you're doing it wrong. And my guess is, most of you who are doing that never took the time to kind of go through any of this. Some of you might, and still end in this spot of clapping and applauding and being happy, and that's a whole different conversation. But I feel like There's a pretty significant overlap of people who just ignored facts, discussion, relative history, the bigger issue, the bigger picture, ignored all of that, chose not to read or discuss and really truly understand everything that went on. Because if you did any of that, I think you might want to reassess your behavior yesterday. Because if you sat down and even had done nothing until yesterday and printed out the 15, 16-page decision from Sue Robinson, the former federal judge, the picked-by-both-sides independent disciplinary officer in this new setup for NFL punishment. And there are some big words in there, but it is not 
overwhelmingly legalese. It's easy to read. And when you read it, before we get to the end game of a six-game suspension, but when you read Sue Robinson's words and the words of the investigators who she trusts and who she supports and who she believes are credible and the words and the actions and the testimony of the four specific women that the NFL presented to Sue Robinson during a three-day hearing, who again Sue Robinson deemed credible because the credible investigators deemed those women credible. So she, because she believed in the investigators, believed in their findings and their depictions of these women. If you go through it, maybe take, I don't know, a half an hour to really go through it and listen to it and read it and process it, you can't possibly in any way be okay with Deshaun Watson's actions. You just can't. For those of you that didn't read this, this is a man who, and these are these are now decided facts from Sue Robinson or from the investigation. That through all of these encounters with 60 plus women, Deshaun Watson wanted these to be outside Texans headquarters. There were people, there were rooms that were all professionally, they were that were signed off on, hired, vetted. This could have happened after practice, before practice, in between meetings, in the Texans facility. No problems, no questions asked, no room for anything. Terrible things by him, money grabs by somebody else. But he didn't want that. He wanted this to happen outside anyone's eyes and ears. He didn't care about the experience level of the women only, by the way. He was not looking for any masseuse. He was looking for female massage therapists. He did not care about their experience level. He wanted this to be private. When he reached out to them, he made sure it was going to be private. He also let them know that he wanted massages in sensitive areas. And yes, these are areas, your hips, your groin, your glutes, that you do need to have massage. That would be sore areas for anybody working out on your Peloton, of running down the street, or being an NFL quarterback. But he made a point of saying, hey, you're going to target these, and then doubled down on that by insisting to not use the normal massage protocol of being under a complete sheet, a full bed sheet. He wanted a small towel that barely covered the places it needs to cover and only worked basically on the top part of his body. So when he moved, when he rolled over, when anything happened, parts of him were exposed. Sue Robinson, in this report, concludes that it is safe to assume and correct to assume that Deshaun Watson had a particular physical reaction to a woman touching these parts of his body and that that physical reaction made contact unwantingly with some of these therapists. And that it's safe to assume that Deshaun Watson had a sexual purpose to setting up these sessions, that they were not professional, that they were not accidentally uncomfortable. He called, she called his actions reckless, and predatory. And those reckless and predatory actions led to the four women in question 
never wanting to work with him again. One in the encounter said, that's disgusting, stop. And I'm paraphrasing. One basically kicked him out and said, this is over, we're dumb. One of the women has had to go to counseling. Another has dealt with depression and other issues. Another one has debated and doubted her career as a massage therapist after these encounters. So yes, Deshaun Watson never even went on trial. They were never in charge of put against him. You can, if you want to live off of that, be my guest. But that's specifically about what could have happened in a courtroom. It does not mean he did nothing wrong. It just meant that multiple groups of people thought there was not enough proof to convict him or to charge him with an actual crime. Does not mean a crime didn't happen. It just was that there was not enough proof that one did. But this judge, listening to evidence for three days from both sides, concluded all of those things, set them as fact in this conversation. And sure, because there's no videotapes, there's no audio recordings, there's no third parties, there's no witnesses, there is always room for he said, she said, and we'll never actually know the full God's honest truth. But this is a former federal judge, after listening to three days of testimony and evidence and whatever, that decided all of those things as statements of fact. Wanted it to be private. Wanted it to be sexual, predatory, reckless, left women with depression, need of counseling, wanting to change their profession. None of that leads you to applauding Deshaun Watson at Brown's training camp yesterday. It just doesn't. And maybe some of you, if you're listening and you were there and you applauded, maybe you're not capable of shame or regret, which might have led to why you were applauding him in the first place. So maybe this is completely lost on you. But what Deshaun Watson did, and now has been written into a 16-page document from a former federal judge, whose decision, by the way, you actually might, the six games you might agree with and appreciate because you didn't think he should get more than that. Just don't forget how she got there, how she gave him six games. And to be honest, and we'll get to this more throughout the show, as I'm reading it, and as basically every other human adult has read it, the first two-thirds of this are taking it on a path where Deshaun Watson, she might have said, shouldn't play football ever again. There is nothing flattering. There is nothing dismissive, downplaying, about what Deshaun Watson did in Sue Robinson's words until she makes the switch into deciding because it was non-violent. Six is the far the furthest she could go. But up until that turn, and that's a sick that is the significant turn, and that is one of the and really the main area that we are going to attack next hour with Mike McCam. Until she makes that switch, this is damning, embarrassing. A pseudo-conviction of Deshaun Watson for some form of sexual assault. And then you applauded him when he got back on the football field yesterday. He doesn't deserve that. And I'm not telling you to burn your Deshaun Watson jersey. I'm not telling you to boycott the Browns. I'm not telling you to root for the Bengals. None of that. I'm just telling you that there was a lot of things you could have done yesterday differently. Or before you do it and say it and act it today, think about 
all the things that we just went through. And I've been in this situation before. I'm sitting here in New York. I'm counting down the hours until 6 p.m. to see what my beloved New York Mets do or don't do before the MLB trade deadline. They might be a World Series team right now. It's the best I've felt about them in a long time. But recently, they brought back Jose Reyes, who's arguably the best shortstop in Mets history, who I loved the first time he was a Met. And they brought him back after a very public domestic violence incident. I didn't want him back. I did not celebrate, applaud anything he did after the fact. I didn't give up being a Met fan. I didn't turn in season ticket. I didn't stop spending money. But I made a personal decision because, and a judgment from afar of the facts we know about that case, that I just was not going to be in any way on Jose Reyes' support team. And that's all I'm saying here. And it may have an expiration date for Deshaun Watson. Maybe he will be a good citizen moving forward. Maybe at some point, some of you can move past this. I don't know that you can. I don't know that he deserves that. But I'm confident today he didn't deserve any celebrations yesterday. No applause, no smiles, no requests for autographs. And he certainly did not deserve, and nobody deserved or needed, the statement that the Browns put out yesterday after the ruling was issued and with Deshaun Watson in their building on the field for training camp with people happy that he was out there, this ridiculous statement from the team attributed to Dean Jimmy Haslam apologizing for upset, understand these feelings and blah, 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 throwing the word trigger around as if they knew how they were using it, as if they were not the ones who are hand-in-hand with Deshaun Watson post- the exit from Houston, and giving him this beautiful, soft, completely undeserved landing spot with the joke of a contract that is engineered to lessen all of the penalties financially from this suspension. And I know the spin is out there that other deals on the Browns and other places in the NFL have been structured like this before. But those players weren't Deshaun Watson. And those players were not traded for and signed to a trend-setting, fully guaranteed contract with all of this inside and outside of courtroom pending. So you can spare me that other guys had similar structures, but when Deshaun Watson makes $1 million in base salary and $45 million through a signing bonus... So that that small base salary, he only loses roughly $345,000 through a six-game suspension. And then there's other specific language protecting that signing bonus from a suspension now or next season. You did that to help him. You did that as a courtesy. On top of fully guaranteeing $230 million, no other clean player squeaky clean player, has ever gotten a fully guaranteed contract like that, and you gave one to a guy that was facing two dozen sexual assault allegations, and within that huge deal, you made concessions to make sure that he didn't get hammered financially by whatever suspension was coming his way. So the Browns can spare me, and any Browns fans applauding Deshaun Watson can spare me as well. And again, Michael McCann writes now for Sportico, sports legal expert. He's on the show in hour number two. 
When we come back this morning on Writer Than You, we get into the baseball trade deadline. Six season comes this afternoon. A lot happened yesterday. Juan Soto is still out there. Maybe, maybe, maybe nearing a deal from Washington to San Diego. Perfect time to talk to Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. After this on CBS Sports Radio. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. Writer Than You on a Tuesday morning here on CBS Sports Radio on the free Odyssey app. And it's a Writer Than You without Bill Ryder, Andrew Bogish in for Bill today. That's seven and a half hours to go before baseball's trade deadline. So the perfect time to say hello to Matt Snyder from CBSSports.com. Matt, it's Andrew. How are you? I'm good. I'm tired, but uh, excited to get going. <laughs> uh, I'm with you on the tired part. Um, can we take a post Juan Soto nap soon? Is he going to move soon-ish and let us all relax, or is this going to go all the way to six o'clock today? Yeah, no. My initial reaction was no. I don't think so. That's the short answer. Uh, I always, my guess is it's going down to the wire. And if you had to say the most likely team that he will be playing for. 12 hours from now, I would probably say the Nationals. Um, I, I'm not saying he's not going to go. I think it's still a, a, a decent possibility. I'm just saying if you said, like, rank the teams in order of the likelihood on who he, he will be with, I think I would put Nationals one. Matt, if you were sitting in the Cardinals front office, Padres, Dodgers, whomever, is there a reason not to basically write a blank check to the Nationals for Juan Soto right now? Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's complicated. It's just at some point you can give up too much, right? And I, I know for years before Mike Trout signed his extension, we would play with all sorts of scenarios. I'm like, well, this team could give up this, this team could give up this. And anytime you looked at specifically what it might take in terms of big league talent, you would always say, all right, well, Trout's way better and you would give up anything you could for him, but it still seems like you're giving up too much. But then if we if we dropped a few guys off of the trade scenario, then it'd be like, well, now it seems like if you're the Angels, you shouldn't give up Trout because you're not getting enough back. Sometimes you have a player where it's just not going to make sense for either side. And it's entirely possible that that's where Soto is. I, I do think that there's even more merit to it from uh, on keeping him from the Nationals end just because he's so young. He's only 23. And, and when you talk about – oh, getting back a huge prospect package. Well, man, he's 23. That's prospect age. So, like, he's he's essentially in some ways still a prospect on that front, only you have a sure thing. Uh, and that's the biggest problem with the prospects is they're not sure thing. Well, he is, and he's the right age. So that's why I'm, I'm wondering if they get to a point where Mike Rizzo is kind of like, you know what, what are we doing here? Um, and, again, if you're the other teams and Rizzo says he has to be knocked over – you might get to the point where you're like, all right, it's the Cardinals. We're, we're a playoff contender right now. We have to give up four players from the big league roster. Are we really going to do this? You know, So I, I, I just wonder if it's going to get to that point with anybody. Yeah, and I, I guess maybe I've missed this, um, but has anybody actually explored whether this Nats-Soto relationship is fixable? I mean, could we 
at some point not do him, not not trade him now, get to the winter, reassess, maybe there's an ownership change and he is a national for life like we all expected, or is it a foregone conclusion that they're going to trade him at some point? I think it's always fixable. Um, it, you know, it seemed like all along he was amenable to a, a long-term deal and, you know, they're going to sell the team like like you mentioned, like a lot of people are, are saying they're going to, but maybe a new ownership group, maybe you get somebody like a Steve Cohen in there who says, whoa, whoa, what are we doing? I want to send, I want to give this guy $750 million to be a national for life. Any problems that they've had, I think would all of a sudden fall by the wayside and everybody would be best friends again. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it can always be solved with a little money, as everybody knows. Uh, so, yeah, I would say it's fixable, especially since he's under team control for another two years after this year. It's not like he's a free agent at the end of the year and we're so far down the road. Um, obviously, that's a big, a big reason why it's a big deal to maybe trade him right now is because if you are going to trade him, throw in the extra two years of control, now all of a sudden he's not a rental the other team has a pretty big window to negotiate an, uh, an extension with him should they choose to do so. So, I mean, it makes sense why this is the time, but it would also make sense if the Nationals kind of backed off and said, you know what, why don't we build around this guy instead of trading him? This is Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com, with us here on Writer Than You. Matt, there were a lot of moves yesterday. Who had the best day in your mind? Uh, it might've been the Yankees. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't, they, they were two smaller moves, I think, but the F Ross from the Cubs, uh, he's a really, really good reliever. He's kind of a sidewinder. He's going to change the eyelid. He has a funky delivery, uh, but he, he's really good. And they needed bullpen depth, which is something we didn't think they were going to need heading into the year because, but then Chad Green and, and, or, and uh, Michael King go down. Now all of a sudden bullpen's a problem, especially with, the problems the world as Chapman has had, uh, the problems recently Clay Holmes has had. So that helped. And again, on the Montas deal, they got Trevino looped in there, so that's more bullpen depth there. Montas has the ability to be a frontline starter, so it looks like they shored up their rotation and got two bullpen pieces. They did not give up any of their top prospects. They gave up a few kind of bigger names in the Montas deal, but they were able to avoid giving up their two biggest guys in Peralta and Volpe. So I think the Yankees are probably were the best yesterday, um, but I, I'm looking for a lot more today. And really, let's give credit to the Padres on the Josh Hader deal. He's been in a bad way his last six outings or so, but they went out and they got somebody who's capable of being the best closer in baseball while they were trying to get Juan Soto right. and also kind of looking at backup options to Soto like Wilson Contreras. And and how do they keep doing this, Matt? Because, I mean, it feels like they're, almost their entire roster, is guys, especially pitching-wise, are guys they've traded for. They get Hader yesterday, and they still have the, the bullets, we believe, to get Soto. How do they have infinity prospects and infinity resources to keep making all of these moves? Well, when, when Preller first took over, Remember, he completely went for it all at once. He traded for, like, Craig Kimbrell and Matt Kemp, and uh, Yasmani Grandal actually went back to the Dodgers. But uh, I think Justin Upton, uh, and it, nothing worked out at all. And then they pulled the plug, and they just traded everybody. Ever since then, he'd been brilliant at building up the farm through draft picks, through trades, and everything. And it got to the point where, uh, after Tatis came up, it was like, all right, we're ready to win at the big league level. So either the prospects are ready to help us now or on the field, or they're going to help us now in a trade with somebody that can help us on the field. And 
he's really, really aggressive. He misses sometimes. He trades too much sometimes in a lot of people's opinions, but he goes out and he makes deals. And uh, I think that's why it's, from my perspective, he's probably the most fun general manager slash club president just because he's completely fearless and totally aggressive, and you love to see moves. You never see anything like the report uh, today on the, the Cardinals. They're reluctant to include Dylan Carlson in a move. You would never see that with A.J. Preller's team. He would never say <laughs> somebody like Dylan, what? I'm not reluctant to include him. Are you kidding? I'll, I'll include anybody if I get Juan Soto. So, yeah, that's, he, he's, uh, he's an interesting cat. He's really aggressive. All right, we began with Soto. Let me end with Otani. Are we getting a Shohei trade this winter? No. Oh, this winter. This winter, uh, yeah. I still That's probably still the right reaction. I think they're going to give it another go and hope that uh, Trout and Rendon can stay healthy all year, give Maniason another offseason to try to you know put together a pitching staff. When you have a super-duper star like Otani, along with Trout, who still is, and Rendon, if he could ever stay healthy. Remember him in 2019 for the Nationals. He's still in his prime years. When you have three players like that, you shouldn't really be uh, waving the white flag or anything like that. So if they weren't going to trade him now, I I think that they'll go in next year with him as well. Now, if they fall out of contention before the trade deadline next year, they might as well see what's out there. But Artie Moreno is kind of a a meddlesome owner, and – Man, Otani's a big draw for them, attendance-wise. They have so many people who go just to see Otani play, and I don't know if Marino would allow that. Even if they say this makes good baseball sense for the next four or five years, I, I, he's, he's, he's awfully short-sighted. He has been so short-sighted in the past. I wonder if he'll say, this ain't happening, we're keeping this guy. But, uh, yeah, heading into next year, I think they'll have him. So, Matt, as always, thanks for the info. We appreciate it. And get some rest later in the week, okay? All right, we'll do. That's Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. He'll be busy today. The entire baseball world busy today. Got a little hectic yesterday afternoon. We've had a trade. Christian Vasquez going from the Red Sox to the Astros on the field during BP in Houston. Was trying to answer questions about the trade, basically with tears in his eyes. Couldn't really say anything. He was so emotional. And then the right hand of a Red Sox PR guy just grabbed him on the shoulder and took him off the field, switches clubhouses, and I'm assuming he'll be in the lineup today for Houston. But I thought the Astros, Matt picked the Yankees yesterday, Padres get Hader. I thought the Astros did well in Mancini and Vasquez needed both of those things. Mancini takes over basically at first base because Yuli Gurriel is doing almost nothing on offense for them. Plus, he's a right-handed DH. Either one of them can go that way. And then Vasquez gives them some more um, some more offense behind the plate, some more depth there, and just seems to be uh, kind of a winning player. And that's a cliche sometimes, but I've always liked him from afar gritty, gutsy, looked like a catcher, plays like a catcher for those Red Sox teams, and now he's on the Astros, who may be the best team in the American League. It's Ryder than you on this Tuesday morning. Bogus in for Ryder. Since I'm here, someone's got to do updates, and that is Erica Herskowitz. You're listening to the Ryder Than You podcast. Oh, we love our D-cell around here. It's Ryder Than You on this Tuesday morning. CBS Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 158, and the free Odyssey app. Andrew Bogus in for Bill. He's off this entire week. Carrington Harrison, who was here yesterday, is back with you on Friday. You've got me to today, tomorrow, and Thursday, and at least for today, D-Cell's here, which brings me to this. Now, I walked into the building this morning, and I said to D-Cell first thing. I, I might have said good morning. I hope I did. But my, my first full non-greeting was, 
man, I love these hours. Because today, I got up a little early, had a lazy Monday, didn't get a workout in, got up early this morning, did a little quick workout because I had the extra time, got in the shower, leisurely did a little prep work before getting to the train station. Normally, for my shift when Bill is here, I'm at the train station at 4.12 in the morning, and that train comes and picks me up, and if it doesn't, I'm you-know-what because there's no plan B. There's no other train coming behind it. If there's a problem on that train, I am screwed. But today, I get to the platform. It's 6.30 instead of 4.10. Platform's crowded. Train pulls in. It's crowded. Everyone jams on. I go, you know what? There's a train in six minutes. I'm going to wait for that one. Train comes six minutes later. It's basically empty because all the idiots were on the first train. I get sit, I get a seat all by myself. No one's sitting next to me, sniffling, coughing, whatever next to me. Come into, the, come into Manhattan from Long Island. Sometimes I have to wait in the normal morning 15 minutes for a subway to take me from Midtown down to our studios. Today, trains are rapid fire. One pulls in right away. Hop on that. In an added bonus... It's not 90 degrees and max humidity at 7.30 in the morning here in New York City. So I make the decision, I'm going to get off two stops early and walk the rest of the way because it's nice and I've got some time. Let's get some fresh air. So I'm loving life. But on this walk, aided by the change in schedule and the courtesy of the weather this morning, on this walk, I encountered... One of Tom DeCelestino's worst nightmares. I'm walking down the street. Should I buy an iced coffee? What a great morning. There's people around exercising on their way to work. Everyone seems to be, I'm, I'm, we're, we're downtown Manhattan. So it doesn't feel like Manhattan where you might think of like Times Square. There's people everywhere, lights, cabs honking. It's not suburban, but it's quieter, it's nicer, it is certainly just, there's less hustle and bustle. So I'm enjoying my little walk, and I see about 100 feet in front of me, a person kind of looking around, kind of confused, and I go, here we go. And I'm going to take this as a compliment, because other people passed this person, and she didn't stop them. When I got there, in her general area, eye contact, I could see her make an assessment of me, her decision that I was safe to approach. And she said, excuse me, do you, is this 7th Avenue? And immediately I'm like, where's D-Cell? I'm being asked for directions (laughs) on the streets of Manhattan. Now, if that's you... What's the play? If that's me, you've you've already done several things wrong. Correct. If you can assess from about a hundred yards away or a hundred feet away, excuse me. Yeah. That this woman, this this innocent bystander, yes. is about to approach you, and you can tell, I think she's lost or she's not certain where she needs to go. This is the move every single time. You do not make eye contact. Don't engage. You bury your face in your cell phone. That way she cannot assess if you are okay to approach if you are a safe stranger. Okay. That is the first 
and biggest mistake you made? Now, let's just say I did that. I did the. I began the decel method. I just. I try to make it that she shouldn't talk to me, but she still asked for help with my face in my phone. Then what would you have done? You look up. You politely. We're still polite about this. You look up and you pretend that you too have no idea what's going on. Okay. That you look up. Excuse me. Is this Seventh Avenue? Ah, really? I usually don't walk this way. I'm honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know. I can't help you. I'm sorry. Okay. Now, let me throw the added wrinkle on here. My mom might be listening. Forgive me. Your wife might be listening. Forgive me. But the added wrinkle was this was a attractive young woman who asked me in a French accent if this was 7th Avenue. Okay. We okay. Prob- I I considered carrying her to her destination, <laughs> escorting okay. her, because right before I got to her, I was thinking about changing my path to work because there was a gentleman shirtless and disheveled, very forcefully asking people for help. But it just seemed like a, that was that was a thing I did not want to have go my way. That is when you change your route. So, I, but I didn't. I said, I think there's enough of a buffer here between distance and other people. He's not going to get to me. So I keep going, and then I get in the striking distance of this young lady. So after she asks me in her delightful French accent, is this 7th Avenue, I kind of accidentally ended up in the D-cell area because I wasn't sure for a second because I'm at the point now where, like, I'm not following street signs. I just know the way to walk. Right. And this is what usually happens to me. Like, I'm not really sure. And, like, could I stop and think for a minute? Yeah, I could. Yeah. And I know my way around Manhattan. I can help the majority of people that ask me for directions. Now, so she goes, is this 7th Avenue? And I had to go, huh, is it 7th Avenue? Fair question. And I had to, like, look around. And here is part of her problem. All of the signposts only had the cross streets. They didn't have the one declaring this 7th Avenue. So I understood her confusion, and I thought for a second, like, yes, this is 7th, because I I just, like, redid my route and remembered where I went. This is 7th. Okay, great. Now, thankfully, she didn't ask me for any other direction. Like, do you know where blank street is Leroy like then I couldn't have helped her because I don't know any of the cross streets I barely know the cross streets of our actual building but where I was I couldn't have helped her other than here's my phone put in what you need where you need to go so thankfully she was good with yes this is 7th Avenue but as I walked past her I was like this is where I get in my own head I knew it was 7th Avenue and I'm still like there should be a street sign is this not so then I'm like looking for a street sign I'm making sure she's not now angry at me because she's not where she wants to go and then she was gone so I'm assuming she got where she wanted to go she was almost there when she asked me where she was but I can't believe on today I'm filling in for Bill and you're actually here on my way to the building I lived one of your worst fears do you know my biggest beef with this kind of situation oh please tell me and this has really been bothering me since uh, you know we had our little kumbaya session as a show me you and Bill yeah why don't people who need directions why don't they stop off in some sort of business some sort of deli bagel mm. shop coffee shop and say hey I'm looking to go to so and so can you help me out so she was she actually had a piece of loose leaf in her hands. 
that I'm assuming had at least the address on them, if not actual directions. Going old school. Now, I don't know why she didn't have a phone. That's what I feel like everybody would do nowadays. But also, too, there was not a sign around us that said 7th Avenue. So I think that opened the confusion up. But she's working off paper like we're pre-internet. And she's in a city that she doesn't know, I'm guessing by her accent and by her bewilderment. So then you've really got to have, she's got to have a phone. She was dressed like she has the ability to buy nice clothes, so she's got to have the ability to have a phone and a plan. So I did wonder that, but I'm glad that she met me and not you, Sid, because who knows where she'd be right now <laughs> if it was you walking on that block and not me. See, I, it's not like I give these these innocent people wrong directions no, on purpose. No, you leave them helpless. No, I leave them. Ask the next person behind me. That gentleman behind me, he looks very friendly. You should ask no, him. No, no, no. Uh, while we were talking, there's another reported baseball trade. Pretty good one. Maybe not name value-wise, but in terms of baseball value, the Minnesota Twins, who often don't do anything, uh, have actually added Orioles all-star closer Jorge Lopez. So the Orioles are having their best year in recent memory, very much in the playoff hunt in the ALEs, are sticking to their long-term plans here. Traded Trey Mancini yesterday, and today they moved their all-star closer Jorge Lopez to the Twins for prospects. So Minnesota tries to up its bullpen, and the Orioles do a move for the future, not the present, while still fighting to make the postseason. Now, the Baltimore does have a couple of stud arms in that bullpen that presumably they were future closers. Now they maybe are current closers. But Lopez leaving, having a great year, you got to sell high on him, and maybe they did, maybe they don't. But they, you know, the prospects will see. But in terms of making the move, striking while the iron's hot on Lopez, had to do it, and they do it. And here we go today after yesterday's flurry of moves, moving towards today's actual deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern today. Thanks again to Matt Snyder for joining us earlier this hour. Wanted to kind of jump off of some of the things that Matt said. Had to talk about Diesel being a horrible human first, though, because it was so front and front of mind. But Matt said it, and I'll echo it. You want A.J. Preller or A.J. Preller-like men, women, whomever, to run your teams. You want that. You don't want... And there's sometimes they don't always work, but... They kind of usually do. And at the very least, you know where A.J. Preller stands. There is no confusion. You're not wondering if your guy's going to pull off a trade. We're going to stand pat. We're going to read a hot streak like we don't need to fix anything. Or I'm afraid to trade this guy or make this mistake. A.J. Preller is all in. Have they gotten to the ultimate finish line? No. But they're one of the best teams in the National League right now. And if A.J. Preller follows up Josh Hader yesterday by getting Juan Soto today... Those Padres are even more legit in at least the National League. We get back to Deshaun Watson. Michael McCann from Sportico helps us break down yesterday's six-game suspension from a legal aspect. That's next, Writer Than You, on CBS Sports Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.